Lord, let's pray. Lord Jesus, I need you. Lord, I pray that you'd speak through me. Lord, that we would prepare our hearts to receive, including my own. And Lord, even in simple texts, in short texts, Lord, that you can speak. And Lord, we pray that you would speak to us. And Lord, that we would continue in worship as we listen to what you say. And as we, with the strength of your Holy Spirit, try to live it out. And we just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, we are in um, chapter 16. And um, on my title, it says, The Land Giving to Ephraim and West Manasseh. So, if you guys remember, uh, there, we've gone through a couple of lands given away. Do you remember on the other side of the Jordan River, there were two and a half uh, tribes that got land. Do you guys remember that? You guys, anybody know any of the names of the, there was, right? Any of the names of the tribes? There was Steve, right? The tribe of Steve. Yeah? Somebody nodding their head back there? Yeah, I've been sleeping. Right? There was, there was Reuben. And if you remember who Reuben was, his tribe, he was the oldest of Jacob, right? That's Reuben. Then there was Gad. And if you remember, it was the half tribe of Manasseh. So Manasseh was not one of Jacob's biological sons, if you guys remember. And neither was Ephraim or Ephraim. They weren't biological sons of Jacob. But Jacob blessed them because they were the sons of Joseph. And Juan described this, Joseph was Jacob's son. Do you guys remember the story of Joseph? Remember? Some of you guys may not know the story of Joseph. Joseph was Jacob's favorite son, right? And if, and if you are a parent and you have favorites, be careful, because the other ones will throw the favorite into a hole and then sell him off. All right. That's what happened to Joseph. Okay. Yeah. Just, you know, so whoever, whoever your favorite is, denounce them. No, 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 just clean up your act. Right. So, you know, children will always perceive another one as a favorite, you know, like uh, even in my, in my family, we have seven kids. Our, I know our mom has tried very hard to not have favorites, right? To kind of treat everybody the same, right? But some siblings will still stand up and say, oh, you're the favorite. Because remember when we were three and you got that popsicle? And you're like, come on, man. I stole that. <laughs> like, or whatever. You know, like, or... We perceive things differently. I remember I was having a chat with, um, with one of my brothers, my older brother. You may not know him. Juan knows exactly who he is. And, and he said, nah, bro, you never got in trouble. And I'm like, that's not because I'm the favorite. It's because I didn't do stupid things. <laughs> Come on, bro. <laughs> all right. He was like, yo, bro, I used to get yelled at all the time, and you didn't. That's because you were like doing crazy stuff and I'm just standing there watching, documenting, right? So that's what I was. I was the documenter. You know, I stood there. I used to write it and then I got a phone and I started, I started recording it. Yeah. So, um, you know, but that's a joke. But for real, like sometimes we perceive things differently. And sometimes as 
children, we perceive things differently. And that's something that we're going to see that Ephraim, in the next chapter, Ephraim and the half-tribe of Manasseh perceived things differently about themselves as a tribe, and then Joshua sets them straight. Because they kind of feel like, hey, listen, our forefather was Joseph. And like, that's not just a name you just throw around. Like their forefather was Joseph, the guy who God used to save their whole family. The guy that God used, though everybody else was mean to him. Like if you listen, if you have a life and you feel like, oh man, everybody picks on me and all these things. Yo, stand up like Joseph. Believe in God and trust in him. Like Joseph, if you look at his life, you're like, yo, this dude is just trying to, he's just living his life. And these older brothers or these other brothers don't like him. So like I said, they throw him in a hole. And then the brothers make up a story that he's been killed. So they throw a little blood on his really nice coat that his dad gave him, right? So they come over and they come and they bring his Versace coat. And they're like, yo, dad, you know this coat that you got him? Look, it's got blood on it. He must have died. But instead they sold him as a slave to their cousins. <laughs> Or to like, you know, if you look at it, they're actually kind of related who they sold them off to. And then they take that, they take him and they take him away and they sell him off in a foreign land. And then he sits there and he tries his best and he actually becomes like the head of the household taking care of everything. And then he's wrongfully accused and they throw him in prison and scholars believe he was in prison wrongfully accused for more than a decade more than a decade, and he sat there, and he didn't say, I want to see my lawyer. I got one phone call in here. He ain't getting no phone calls. He was in the king's prison, right? And he sat there, and it said that he was so faithful that he, they put him in charge of the prison. <laughs> Imagine putting a prisoner in charge of the prison. That's how that's how good he is and how kind he is and how, how the Lord was with him. And they were like, hey, bro, can you lock everybody up for us and everything? Just make sure everybody's got everything all good. I know you're a prisoner in here, but I don't know why you're in here. You're obviously wrongfully accused. So can you help us watch things around here? Sure. You know, if it was me and they're like, yo, can you help us watch things around here? And I'm wrongfully accused. That night, I'm gone. <laughs> I got the keys. I'm out of here, right? He didn't run. And it said that when he went to prison, we're told this in scripture, that when he went to prison, God went with him. And I always find that so humbling about God, right? About God the Father. God doesn't need to sit in a crummy prison. And it says, and he was thrown in prison, and the Lord went with him. And the Lord sat with him for over a decade in prison. And then he meets these two guys and these two guys have these dreams and says, the spirit of the Lord is upon Joseph. Joseph knows exactly what their dreams mean. And he gives them the meaning of the dreams. And then Joseph says to them, hey, he says to the one guy that's going to be set free, he goes, hey, when you're set free and you go see the Pharaoh, put in a good word for me, okay? You know what that guy does? Totally forgets about Joseph and he stays in prison. 
until one day the Pharaoh has a dream. And then the guy that Joseph had deciphered his dream for him is like, oh yeah, there's that guy in prison that knows how to decipher dreams. Hey, listen, if it looks like the world is against you, make sure you're on the Lord's side. Because if the Lord is for us, who can be against us? Who can be against us? And the answer is nobody. Nobody. You may have terrifying things happening in your own household. You may have terrifying things happening in your home country. We may see evil men rise up, evil women rise up. But the Lord is for us. Make sure you stay with him. Joseph didn't run away from his situation. Joseph stayed with the Lord, and the Lord stayed with Joseph. And the Lord showed him or made the way out for him. I mean, we see over and over again when we're put in a hard situation and we sit there and we worship God. I mean, I was talking to my daughters about this the other day. How awesome was it when Peter gets thrown in prison and my man's taking a nap, <laughs> right? How many of us, you get thrown in prison, you ain't sleeping, right? You're sitting there thinking about how horrible it is in there. You're watching everybody else in the cell. I mean, I don't know. I've never been there, but, you know, like if, if I ever get taken there, I pray that I have so much peace that I could take a nap and that the Lord's watching over me, right? That was the, that's one of the first things that I noticed about Peter. He's sleeping in prison, chains on. He's just sitting there sleeping. And then he gets hit on the side. Somebody taps him on the side, and it's an angel. And he says to Peter, get up. Follow me quickly. And his chains just fall off. And then he follows the angel out. <laughs> like the angel just opens the door, walks him out. And then he's standing out there and he realizes, I'm not dreaming. I'm actually out here. And then you guys know the rest of the story. He runs to the disciple's house, knocks on the door. One of the girls sees him. And, and is so excited, she closes the door on him and tells everybody, Peter's at the door. <laughs> yeah. Because they had been praying, right? How mighty our God is, and he's willing to be mighty for us. And something that we see about um, Ephraim and Manasseh is, is that they know they are the clans that came from Joseph. And there's two ways that you can act, Right? You can act in humility the same way that your forefather was, or you could be arrogant and proud about where you came from. And I'll tell you what, that's the option that people usually choose, to be arrogant and proud of where they came from instead of having humility and helping the others around them. So let's begin reading. The allotment for the descendants of Joseph extended from the Jordan River near Jericho, east of the springs of Jericho, through the wilderness and into the hill country of Bethel. From Bethel, that is Luz, it ran over to Ataroth, in the territory of the Archites. Then it descended westward to the territory of, Je of the Jephelites. They must be the ones that made Jaffa cakes. So <laughs> as far as lower Beth Haran. <laughs> then to Gezer and over to the Mediterranean Sea. 
This was the homeland allocated to the families of Joseph's sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. The following territory was given to the clans of the tribe of Ephraim. The boundary of their homeland began at Ataroth Adder in the east. From there, it ran to the upper Beth Haran, then on to the Mediterranean Sea. From Michmetheth on the north, the boundary curved eastward to Tanith Shiloh, to the east of Genoa. And from Genoa, it turned southward to Ataroth and Nara, touching Jericho, and it ended at the Jordan River. From Tapaw, the boundary extended westward, following the Kana Ravine to the Mediterranean Sea. This is the homeland allocated to the clans of the tribe of Ephraim. In addition, some towns with their surrounding villages in the territory allocated to the half-tribe of Manasseh were set aside for the tribe of Ephraim. Ephraim. They did not drive the Canaanites out of Gezer. However, so the people of Gezer lived as slaves among the people of Ephraim to this day of when this was written. So one of the first things, that's it. That's our whole text for today. Like, we could just call it quits, go get our kids, go have an early lunch, you know, which actually sounds good. Let's do that. No, <laughs> no I'm just kidding. Um, but there's two things that I see here, and the first one was what we were talking about, what we just left off on, right? Children that their forefather was good, right? And how sometimes in our own lives, we get things mixed up because our forefathers were good. Let me tell you a couple of uh, facts about your forefathers being good. Just because your forefathers, and I mean mothers too, just because your forefathers were good doesn't mean you're good. Do you guys understand that? Just because... You know, I may have had a mother that loves Jesus, she's benevolent and kind, doesn't mean that automatically I'm benevolent and kind, right? Do you know why? Because being those things actually is a choice in your life, your individual life. And a lot of times, the children do not act like their parents because, one, they're not taught and two, they make their own choices. And we could see even in ourselves that sometimes we have pride about who we came from, who our parents were, or who our grandparents were, or who our great-great-grandparents were. And if you're like a lot of the, the people sitting here, you don't even know who your great-great-great-grandparents were. All right? Because that is closed. <laughs> And I, I've been reading this book, and you know how, like, lots of people are going out in droves to, like, find their DNA testing from, uh, from companies, right? You get your DNA tested, and they tell you, like, oh, I got, like, 1% Cherokee Indian in me. I got, like, 2%, uh, you know, Babylonian in me. I got 5% baloney in me, <laughs> like, whatever they're talking about. And this, this guy who um, is actually, he has his uh, PhD in, in genetics and in like that type of biology from Harvard is saying like, listen, if it's past your great, great grandparents, those tests aren't gonna tell you what you got. They can't tell you everything way back in the day because of how the percentages work 
within your DNA. So if he was like, he, he runs this thing. He's like, let's say you have Viking in you, like from 500 years ago. And we're not going to know that. We only got a testament of a million people. There's 8 billion people in this world. <laughs> so they're going to tell you who your grandparents were. And if you don't know that, I mean, okay, that's cool. Some people don't know. That's all right. But, but you don't need a company to tell you that. <laughs> you know, it's just like this fascination. Oh, where do I come from? You know? And it's cool, man. I've thought of it, too. And then I thought to myself, man, I'm not giving a company my blood. <laughs> I'm going to give somebody my blood. I need to get paid. <laughs> I'm only kidding. Partially. Um, <laughs> Manasseh and Ephraim, right? They had a choice. They could actually be like Joseph. They knew the story. They knew who Joseph was. They knew that Joseph was so great that Jacob adopted his children and gave them blessings. And that's why there were still 12 tribes. Because one tribe, the Levites, wouldn't get an allotment of land, right? They weren't going to get a whole portion of land like everybody else. So then that left 11 tribes, right? And then we have... Uh, so then Joseph doesn't get an allotment, but his two sons get that, those allotments. So then there's 12 tribes to get allotments of land. And then the Levites would be spread out through all of them, like salt, making that flavoring come out. And we see that just because, like, our daddy or our mummy, they were good, doesn't mean that I'm good. And this plays over to salvation, right? There was something my mother told me young, right? And it wasn't because I was like having second thoughts about following Christ or anything like that. Like, I know I looked into what is this thing that my mother believes and that my father doesn't? And, and you guys may know this. Listen, I didn't live. You guys may think, oh, Pastor Dave, man, he lived in a, in a Christian home. That's why he lives like that. I only lived in a half Christian home. The other half, straight from hell. <laughs> I mean, if you come to my house now, you, you rarely hear sh shouting and yelling and things like that. Do you know why? Because you can ask any of my siblings, you can ask my mother. When my father was around, there was always yelling. And it wasn't just like somebody that didn't know how to use their inside voice, okay? Like your children. Or like my children that are like, hey, daddy. I'm like, I'm right across the table, baby. You ain't got to yell. <laughs> right? No, it was anger. It was rage. Things breaking. Furniture flying across the room. And somebody yelling at the top of their lungs going crazy while everybody else just stands back and just is like, what is wrong with this guy? <laughs> what is wrong with him? Right? That's the home I lived in. So when my mother told me about Jesus, I said, I need to inspect this. I need to look around. Because I see one person that has peace, even when the crazy gorilla is going nuts. Then I see another person who's a crazy gorilla, and I don't know why he's nuts. <laughs> right? So you go and inspect. That's why I think this book is really good. It helps you to inspect. I want to see things. 
I want to find out what we're tr truly believing here and what others are telling me about. I want to know what's true. And I knew personally that I had to make a choice. I had to say, hey, listen, I'm going to go this way because my daddy goes this way, or I'm going to go this way because my mommy goes this way, or I'm not going to go either way. I'm going to go my own way. So we had to look and see, right? My mother told me this. This is what she said. God has no grandchildren. And I'm like, what are you talking about, lady? Of course he doesn't have grandchildren. Jesus never got married. Right? And she's like, no, Dave, God has no grandchildren. He only has children. So you either come to him personally, but you can't come to him through your mummy. You can't just say, like I've heard some of you say, I was born a Christian. You can only be born again to be a Christian. You can't be born into Christianity. You can be born in a Christian household, but it's you that has that responsibility to make a decision to say, I am with Jesus 100% or I'm going my own way. What Ephraim and Manasseh didn't understand is that Joseph's choices only blessed them. It didn't make them into Joseph. And that's what I had to understand. I couldn't get to the gates of heaven and say, my mama's Maria Toro, let me in. And they'd probably be like, Maria's in here, but we don't know you. Right? Listen, if you're trying to ride on my faith, if you get to the heavenly gates and you're like, yo, I used to go to Pastor Dave's church, let me in. You're going to get corrected because they're going to be like, that wasn't Pastor Dave's church. He was just looking over the church. It's Jesus's church, first of all. Second of all, what did you do with the Savior? What did you do? Not, um, you know, Pastor Dave, he prayed for me. You know what I pray for you? That you would have the faith to trust the Lord Pray for yourselves. That your faith would grow so that you can follow him. Do you know why we go through the Bible like this? Not so that you have to come on Sunday so that you can hear what the Bible says through Pastor Dave. This is good. This is fine. But so that you can look through the Bible and see what God says. I have lots of people that come to me and say, oh, my guru told me, oh, my teacher told me, oh, my. Yeah, but what does the text say itself? What is God saying? Like the old adage that says uh, you can you can bring a fish to somebody and feed them once or you can teach someone to fish and you feed them for a lifetime. All we're trying to do is teach you how to fish. So that one day when Pastor Dave is gone and all of the people that he tried to put in place to help teach you are gone, you're not alone. You know the Lord is with you, sitting in that prison as you talk to him and as you see what he says in his word. We're trying to help you 
to be giant slayers, not to just stand with giant slayers. You know what, something that was awesome about uh, King David's army, it wasn't that many guys when he was running in the wilderness. I mean, it was a lot of guys, but not thousands upon thousands of men. When he was running through the wilderness, he had like 400, 600, 800 soldiers, and whole nations were scared of his 600 or 800 soldiers. Why? Because they were all giant slayers. They all wanted to trust the Lord. They all went out there, and God did mighty things through each one of them, not just their leader, right? Through each one of them. And then we look back in history and, you know, something in this book that I was reading about and that fascinates me because I love history. And it was saying this, when King David was sitting on the throne, according to what they've put together in records, there were only 50 million people on the face of the earth. 50 million people on the face of the earth. So then you kind of fast forward a couple of hundred years and then there's the Medes and the Persians that came against Babylon, right? At that time, there would have been a couple hundred million people on the earth. And this guy boasted a million man foot soldier army. I mean, when you look in light of those things, those numbers are huge. And why am I telling you this? Because Alexander the Great, who was Greek, would come... I just said that for our Greek friend in the back back there so that he feels you know, good about his heritage. Alexander the Great, who was Greek, right? He comes and he takes out a million-man army with 36,000 men. He knew he didn't need a big army because he had big soldiers, guys that were willing to obey and do what they were set out to do, Right? But then the Lord is even better than that. He's like, hey, leave your 30,000 at home. All I need is 300. That's all I need. And the only reason I need 300 is because I need 300 yelling voices to yell out in the night with Gideon. That's all I need. L listen, Gideon, all I need you to do is get a couple torches, get, a, you know, like, like old school torches. I don't mean like, like flashlight torches. You're like get a couple torches, light them up, get some like alabaster jars, and I'm going to need your yelling lungs. And what you're going to do is you're going to run down the hill, all 300 men. And you're going to throw the, the, the jars on the ground and, and yell. I'll take care of the rest. Right? And when you get down there, everybody's going to be in a confusion. Nobody's even going to know what's going on because I will go before you. The Lord fights for us. It's even greater than Alexander's 36,000 men. The Lord's like, listen, I just need you to be present. I will do all the work. And when we come and we're present, the Lord does all the work, right? Like, it's kind of like parenting. Like, I, we were talking about this last night. I still don't feel ready to be a parent. I have three kids. I've been a dad for 10 years. And I still don't feel ready. But you know what? I'm present and I'm yelling out to the king of kings to help me, to give me wisdom, to show me what to do. Because I don't know. I don't know. I mean, it's not like 
I'm just a dummy walking around the house. You know, I'm not like, oh, and then my wife has to slap me out of it every once in a while. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about like on the inside, I actually don't know how to do everything well. And I'm going to mess up. But, but I know the outcome that I want. This is the outcome that I want. I want three little girls that grow into three young women that love Jesus and nothing will be able to turn them. That's what I want. Because Jesus will take care of the rest. So I, I'm working hard on doing that. And sometimes that working hard isn't like, oh, what do I have to do? What do I have to do? Sometimes it's like, Lord, I don't know what to do. That's like my everyday. Lord, I don't know what to do. Help me. Give me the words as I speak to these children. Show me the ways. And, and one of those ways is that them seeing my life and my wife's life as we live out for the Lord. So that they would know that it's not fake. It's not fraudulent. We are really trusting the Lord. We are really praying. We are really calling out to him. We are really reading God's word. We are really trying to live to that. We are really trying to show our children humility and kindness and mercy and discipline. Right? But they have to make a choice themselves, right? To live up, not to their daddy, but to live up to their heavenly father through Jesus Christ. So like I was saying, my parents' salvation and decisions won't save me. But the other thing is true too, right? Just because I'm the son of a bad man, doesn't make me a bad man. I have to make that choice, right? So some of us may have not had good mummies and daddies, but that doesn't make me before the Lord. And there was something I read this morning, and it was Jeremiah chapter 12, and it reminded me of Job 23 verse 10, because they said the same thing, and there was something about these ancient men that they knew. They knew this. That no matter if this world mislabels me, God knows exactly who I am. He knows me on the inside. He knows my thoughts and he knows my, my thoughts towards him. He knows my actions and he knows me. And sometimes I'm caught in this place where people have misdiagnosed everything I'm doing. Right? They're yelling things at me. They don't like me. But I take comfort in this, that he knows me, and he knows why I've done things, and he knows why I'm living for him. You know, it, it's, I, I've shared this before about Job, and, and in that verse he says, so I'm looking for the Lord. This is the gist of it. So I've been looking for the Lord, and I can't find him. But he knows the way that I take, and when he's tested me, I will come forth as gold. Right? And Jeremiah says this, there's evil people running around, but Lord, and evil people saying things about me, but Lord, you know my thoughts towards you. You know me. 
And I've had to take comfort in that. There were times in my life where people were saying I was a bad person. They didn't even know me. They just saw my skin and they saw that I hung out with a whole bunch of guys, which happened to be my brothers. <laughs> and they said, oh, that's, that's one of them Hispanic, you know, gang members. Yeah, I seen them. They come in a crowd. You know, six of them. They all ride in the same car. That's because we could only afford one car. And I see them walking around together, and they go to those establishments. It's called the church. And they all come in together, and everybody's scared of them in the church. Okay. And they would just say stuff about us. Like, they would say stuff about us. Like, there was this guy that once hired my brothers and I, right? We did the job, and the guy, he, he called our boss, and he said, hey, can I borrow all all the Toros from you. I need them to do a job for me. And our boss said, okay, but make sure that you pay them because he knew this guy. And he said, make sure you pay them for the work that they do for you. Because otherwise they, they'll be on site with me. So the guy said, yeah, yeah, I'll pay them, I'll pay them. So we worked a whole week for him, six guys, did a whole bunch of work for him. Lo and behold, we never got paid. To this day, I'm still counting it. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I forgave him, but he didn't pay us. And you know what he told the people at church? That we were a bunch of lazy bums. That's why he didn't pay us. And our boss came and told us that. He said, he said that you guys are a bunch of lazy bums, and I know you're not. That's why you're always on my crew. And he said, don't be mad at him. It's just his way of not paying. <laughs> He's got to make excuses, right? But I could take heart in those times and say, Lord, people are saying things about me. And you know I've worked hard. But you know me. And I take comfort in that. But you know me. Right? So we know that when we live our life before the Lord and we've made the decision to live right before the Lord, the Lord knows it and he sees us. So instead of being like Ephraim and Manasseh who just say, yeah, I'm going to live on my daddy's coattails. I've met um, like, like really wealthy people, right? People on the rich list, right? And, um, and man, they got more money than the country. And I always thought it was kind of funny that, like, you know, if people say they're, oh, I'm richer than the monarch, you know, I'm richer than the queen at that time. Oh, I'm richer than the queen. And I'm thinking to myself, like, I'd like you to say that to the queen at the time, right? Because if I was the queen, and I said this the other day, I was like, if I was the queen, I'd be like, whose face is on the money you're spending? <laughs> Get out of here, right? <laughs> and how much more clout does the Lord have when people are bragging about the things they have? Oh, look at all this land I own. And the Lord's like, you know, I own that land too, right? <laughs> you bought it for a little bit, but I made it. And you meet like, so I met this really wealthy guy who's on the rich list. And then I met his child 
And the child was acting like he the billionaire. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, bro, you live in your daddy's house, but you didn't, I didn't say this to him, of course. <laughs> right? Because we had a party. <laughs> I don't want to be the downer. Oh, there's the preacher. Here he comes. <laughs> you know, but he was like, yeah, you know, I'm trying to make business deals and all this stuff. And you're like, you're making business. Your daddy made the business deals, bro. Let's be honest, man. Let's be honest, right? And sometimes we walk around like that. Like we walk around like, yo, I got this made. My people are so... Or my, and it's all the pride of life, right? It's one of those temptations, one of those things that the devil comes to attack us with. It says, the lust of the flesh, the things that feel good, the lust of the eyes, those sparkly things that we want, and the pride of life, the thing that we could say, look what I have achieved. Look at the people I came from. You're all dirt beneath me, right? That's the pride of life. And the Lord wants us to not have anything to do with that because it will corrupt us. It will kill us. It will slay us. And Ephraim and Manasseh come and they got the pride of life in them. And they're like, come on, look at the dude we come from. And I'll tell you, I'll give you a hint. Next week, Joshua's going to be like, uh, like pretty much like, we know the dude you come from, but we ain't seen you do nothing yet. And if you want something, go do it, right? Privileged. That's how we act, privileged. My mama, she prayed for hours, but you ain't prayed for hours. <laughs> and when, we, when we're searching and we're looking and we're looking through Christ, we have to remember the words that the scripture tells us. There is a way that seems right to man, but in the end it leads to death. Right? We know that the wages of sin is death. And I've said this often. If sin paid its wages up front, not many of us would be takers. But sin robs you of your life little by little, little by little. Robs you emotionally. Robs you spiritually. Robs you mentally. Until you just feel like quitting. The wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life. Right? We're not left there like, oh, the wages of sin is death. Well, <laughs> that's it. Let's call it a day. Yeah? No, it keeps going. And it says, but the free gift of God is eternal life. I have a choice. I have a choice and I'm free to make that choice. I'm free to turn around and say, you know what? I don't want this wage of death. I want the free gift of God, which is eternal life. And Jesus said, I did not come to condemn the world, but I came to give them life and to give it abundantly. So when I'm sitting there and I know I've chosen sin and I'm feeling a little bit of the death in me, I can turn around and say, no, I forsake this. Jesus, I'm with you. You came to give me life abundantly. I choose your life and I want to stay there. So I repent and turn away from what I did and I want to follow after you. Give me the strength through your Holy Spirit to walk in your path. 
because I don't want to be robbed anymore. I don't want death anymore. I choose you. And then we see at the end of the chapter, chapter 10, we're told a very sad sentence, right? It says, in addition, verse 9, some towns with their surrounding villages in the territory allocated to the half-tribe of Manasseh were were set aside for the tribe of Ephraim or Ephraim. They did not drive the Canaanites out of Gezer. So again, it's just telling us a sentence of a little bit of a failure. They were supposed to drive everybody out. And then they take the second best option and they just enslave them, right? Thinking it'll be okay. And sometimes when I have sin in my life, um, I can do one of two things. When I'm failing, I say, ah, it's too hard. I'm not going to do anything. I just can't do it. So I'm not trusting the Lord, right? I'm not trusting the Lord to fill me with the Holy Spirit to overcome the sin in my life. I'm like, ah, this is too tough. I've tried over and over and over again for years and it's just not working. We'll just let it live there and I'll enslave it and use it for what I need it to do, right? Or we take the other option and we say, you know what? It doesn't seem like that much of a threat. We'll just leave it there, right? When, when the Lord shows me I have like sin in my life, like, like maybe I have unforgiveness or anger towards people or I go into a rage or, or maybe I, I just have a little bit of drug use, not a lot of bit of drug use or, or just a little bit of drinking, not a lot of bit of drinking, just like, you know, I'm only drunk half of the week, not the whole week, you know, like if I'm, I'm drunk half the week, that means half the week I'm sober. So I'm good, man, right? I'm like one of these optimists, you yeah? know, weak half sober, right? We ain't looking at that weak half drunk, right? So I'm trying to make these decisions and I'm not fighting against it because I'm trying to justify that it's not a threat. Hey, listen, listen, the Canaanites and Gezer, they're not a threat. Just enslave it. You know, it's going to work for me. It's going to work out for me. I don't need to go after it, right? Because it's not a threat. Uh, so sometimes I can't drive the sin out of my life, uh, mostly because of my unbelief or because it doesn't seem like that big of a deal, right? But here's the scary thing about sin. Sin never seems like a big deal when it comes up front, right? It's always, it's always like draped, smelling in nice perfumes, and glittery, and it looks good, and everybody else is doing it, right? It doesn't seem that bad. It makes me feel good. And everybody else is there, right? And sometimes sin is trickery in the sense that I've always seen people do this when I was younger and now I'm old enough to do it with them and now I'm part of the crowd and I'm accepted and I'm one and the Lord's like you shouldn't be there you shouldn't be there but sometimes we drown out the Holy Spirit's whisper right so there's a story about Elijah, and Elijah goes to see the Lord, and, and I fast forward to the story, through the story to you, and he's in, in the mountain of the Lord, and he's sitting there, and there's an earthquake, but he didn't see the Lord there. He didn't hear him. 
and there's like a great wind and he doesn't hear him there. And then all of a sudden he hears a small, still whisper. And it's the Lord speaking to him. And I find that if I fill my life with lots of commotion, guess what? It's going to be real busy. There's going to be lots of things to do, but I don't hear him whispering to my heart like when I take time to pray and read his word and I hear him whispering to me. And sometimes he's just whispering that he loves me and that I'm okay and that he's, he's happy with me. But sometimes that fills me up with the fuel I need to keep going. And sometimes he's whispering to me, telling me not to go the way I've set my heart to go. But I haven't heard him because the commotion is too loud. And everybody else is there. And the sin doesn't seem that threatening. Sometimes I don't overcome the sin because I don't trust the Lord enough or because it doesn't seem like a big deal. It's not a pressing need, right? Like if, if you're really critical about people and you're like, yeah, I'm really critical about people, but it's kind of funny, right? So we all enjoy it, right? And the Lord's telling you that you're judgmental towards others and you're like, yeah, but. Or that like maybe you worry too much and you're like, yeah, but it's good that I worry, right? Because if I don't worry, who's going to worry? And the Lord's like, yeah, but by your worry, you then do things out of desperation and you sin against me. There's lots of things. The Lord, he'll talk to your own hearts. I don't need to talk to your hearts. And I just say, ah, you know, it's not that big of a deal. It's not that pressing of a need. So I let it stay. And sin silently grows like cancer. And I don't, I don't do something about it until it gets scary, right? Until I get the diagnosis, you only have three months to live. That's when it gets scary. That's when sin gets scary, right? When you realize, when somebody comes and tells you, you got a real problem. And you're like, uh-oh, I could have taken care of this years ago but I didn't because I let it stay in Gezer. And it's scary when it gets evident when others begin to see it, right? And it gets really scary when, it, when that sin in my life is getting ready to pay its wages. And I'm like, no, 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 it's not payday. No, 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 not yet, not yet, right? Let's seek the Lord and live. If you got little, little Canaanites living in your little cities and the Lord's told you, you need to get rid of that. And you've been like, it's not that big of a deal, Lord. Do your work. Don't just sit there living, coasting on autopilot. Right? Just sitting there. Just coasting on it. Don't sit there living on somebody else's faith. Because somebody else is strong. You can be strong. Choose the Lord and live. Let's pray. Lord.
We love you. We need your help. Father God, that we would take your hand and trust you and stand up and walk with you. And Lord, that you would do great things on our behalf, Lord. We're not the ones that do great things. We just hold on to your hand and say, Lord, I trust you. Be with us. Help us. We just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.